Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Welcome to those of you here today, those that are joining us online, and we have a a pretty growing online community, so welcome uh, to them as well. Thank you for being here. This is a a kind of a cold and rainy graduation day, but it's way better this year than last year. Thankfully, you can actually have graduation in a, in a normal sense this year. Uh, so I want to add my congratulations to the graduates. It is, um, it's a fun time in life to be able to move on to the next chapter. And I want to encourage you as you do just to continue to walk with the Lord and seek him. Today we are back in our series of messages called Living a Godly Life in an Ungodly World. This is a brief series of messages where we are covering just a a handful of chapters, uh, 2 Chronicles chapters 14 through 17, as we look in particular at a guy, a king, whose name is Asa. We're looking at him and his life and how he can give us the example and the model of what it means to live a godly life in an ungodly world. All of this is based upon Second Peter chapter through uh, chapter uh, three, Second uh, Peter chapter three verses ten through twelve, uh, but particularly chapter or verse twelve that says. Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should you be? Well, live your lives in holiness and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. That's what we have been focusing on. What does it mean to live our lives with holiness and godliness as we are entering into perhaps nearing more and more the end times events? Perhaps we are on that precipice of the end times events actually happening. Now let me give you just a quick recap of what we've been talking about. In 2 Chronicles, we have been looking at a king. And this king would have been the great, great grandson of King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. He was a godly king. He was a king who led the nation of Israel to worship and to follow God. Even though he had messed up and done some things that were wrong, God still called him a man after God's own heart. That is a good picture for us because it means that your mistakes and your failures, your shortcomings and sins are not enough to separate you from God forever. You can still be redeemed, you can still be forgiven, you can still be restored, and in fact, you can still be called a person after God's own heart, even if you do mess up and even if you do make mistakes and sin in your life. We have a God who is a God of redemption, a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God of forgiveness. David would have, uh, would have children. One of his children was Solomon. He became the next king of Israel. Solomon started well, but he had a lot of corruption come into his life. A lot of it was based upon the people he allowed into his life, which is a good principle for us. Who you allow into the inner circle of your life will directly impact your life forever. Choose wisely the people that you're going to let be the closest influencers in 
in your life. Solomon let some of his wives, the concubines, into his life to have influence, and they led Israel astray by worshiping false gods. At the end of Solomon's reign, the country of Israel, the nation of Israel, the kingdom, split into two. The northern half would retain the name Israel, and the southern half, where Jerusalem was a part of, would retain the name or have the name Judah. It would now be two different kingdoms from that time going forward, and there would be a series of kings that would happen. The first king would be King Rehoboam. This would have been the grandson of David. King Rehoboam was a wicked king. He allowed all kinds of wickedness and perversion in the land. The land was filled with pagan idolatry, and the land would suffer, the people would suffer as a result. After Rehoboam died, his son Abijah would become king. Abijah would follow in his father's footsteps. He would reign for three years until his son would take over And that was King Asa. King Asa did not follow in his dad's footsteps, his grand or his grandfather's footsteps. He didn't listen to the influence of his mother and his grandmother as well. He decided to be different. Your past, the family that you grew up in, does not have to impact you if it is a dysfunctional, unhealthy family. You can choose to be different. The king did. I will not let the dynamics of my dysfunctional, messed up past affect my future and the future of my nation. He turned back to God. He did what was right. He did what was pleasing to the Lord, and the Lord would bless him. Just as a quick recap, here's what it says at the beginning of 2 Chronicles chapter 14 about King Asa. It says this, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of Adonai his God. He got rid of, he removed all of the foreign altars in the high places. He smashed the pillars. He cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah, the country, the nation of Judah, to seek after Adonai, the Lord, the God of their fathers, to obey Torah, that is the law, and the mitzvah, that is the commandments. We're going to be different, he determined. We are not going to be the same as we have always been. We will be new. So therefore, we are going to remove out of our lives anything contrary to God. Again, another life principle for us. If there is anything in your life that is contrary to who God is, And you probably already know what those things are because you even have the sense of the Holy Spirit convicting you. The things in your life that are contrary to God that he is saying, get out of there, remove them, smash them, tear them down. They don't belong in your life. That's what King Asa did for the nation. We are going to be different What we learned in week number one of this study in his smashing down, tearing down, removing all of what was wrong, we learned that we need to sever what is wrong and that we need to submit submit to what is right. We learned that we need to seek what is good. We learned that we need to strengthen the things in our lives that are weak, and we need to celebrate what God has given. Last week, we turned a corner because after 10 years of a peaceful existence, 10 years of rest, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an army is marching up from the south to attack them. All of a sudden now, the army is in our land, it is in our territory, and we have a battle that we have to fight. 
The king and the country weren't looking for the fight. They weren't going out seeking after the fight. They had lived for 10 years with rest and peace in the land. God had protected them and blessed them. But just when they least expected it, all of a sudden an army is inside the borders of their country. For us, the same things kind of happen. You have 10 good years. You have a time of peace. You have a time of prosperity. You have a time of rest. And then all of a sudden, you turn the corner and there's a battle ahead of you. You didn't expect it. It came out of nowhere. It blindsided you. It could be the death of a close loved one. It could be a diagnosis that a doctor gives you. It could be a change in your financial status. It could be a trial that you weren't anticipating. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, after 10 years of peace and rest and prosperity, all of a sudden there's a battle that has entered into the territory of my land. And all of a sudden now, I have to face that battle. How do you face the battle? Well, this is what we learned last week. First, you express your incompetence. That is, God, I am powerless. I desperately need you. God, if you're not here to fight the battle for us, we have no hope. God, I am completely dependent upon you for everything in life. God, I need you. Not only do you express your incompetence, but you express your confidence. God, I'm confident in you. I put my hope in you. I put my trust in you. My confidence is in you and you alone. It is not in my abilities. It is not in my own power. It's not in the things that I've accumulated, God. My confidence is in you, and I will put my trust and my faith in you. And then you express your commitment. God, I'm committed to you no matter what happens. And no matter how this turns out, God, I am all in and I am all yours. Well, today we're going to turn the corner. We're going to look at what happened right after the battle. And here's what the word of God says in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Just read along with me either on the screen or follow on your phone, tablet, or on a Bible. Here's what it says. The Spirit of God, okay, there we go. The Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, all Judah and Benjamin, Adonai, the Lord, is with you as long as you are with him. If you seek him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will spurn you. For many days Israel was without the true God, without a teaching priest, a Kohen, and without the law, the Torah. But in their distress they turned to Adonai, the God of Israel, and sought him. And he was found by them. In those times, there was no shalom for anyone coming or going, for there were many conflicts among the the inhabitants of the lands. Nation was crushed by nation, and city by city, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. But you, take courage. Do not let your hands be slack, for there is reward for your labor." When Asa heard these words, as well as the prophecy of the prophet Oded, he took courage and removed the abominations from all of the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns that he had seized in the hill country of Ephraim. 
He also repaired Adonai's altar that was in front of Adonai's entryway. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin, as well as those dwelling with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. For many had defected to him from Israel when they saw that Adonai his God was with him. Today what we're going to look at is a title called this. It is Life Lessons Learned from the Battle. What do we learn after we face the battles of our lives? Let's pray as we begin. Father, help us to understand these principles and apply them to our lives. I believe these principles, Lord, are key to living a godly and holy life. I believe these principles are the key to walking in fellowship and relationship with you. Lord, as we celebrate graduates today, I believe that these are the keys that they need also for the lives that they have before them. Father, I pray that we would learn the things that we need to learn, that we would hear the things that we need to hear, that your spirit would be at work here among us today. Help our, help our hearts, Lord, help our minds, help our attitudes, Lord. I pray for your healing and in, in, in people that need a healing touch from you, whether it's a physical one or a spiritual healing. Lord, I pray that relationships that are broken would receive that healing that you desperately want to give them. I pray, Lord, that we would learn from the example that is given here today to put you at the center of our lives. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do among us, and now we give you this time. Teach us in only the way that you can. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give you four principles today from the verses that I just read about what it means to learn from the battles that we are in. I'm going to give you four principles today about what God wants us to know about what it means to walk in closeness and in fellowship with him. Four things that this prophet told to King Asa that we need to hear as well so many thousand years removed from the events that took place. Let's look together at four different life principles, and I would encourage you to take notes or remember these things because they are important as we live out life. It is always amazing to me when the worship team is up here uh, playing, when they are singing and leading us in a time of worship, and how we don't plan this out ahead of time, but how God works all of the worship songs out to match the things that we are going to be talking about. That is exactly what happened today. Even as Leo was praying up here today, it was exactly the things that we are going to look at from the lesson given to this king. Here's lesson number one, and that is this, God responds to his people's pursuit. God responds to his people's pursuit. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look together at what this prophet told to Asa the king. Here's what it says. The spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa, and he said to him these words, listen to me. Just listen to this. 
all Judah and Benjamin. Now, who were Judah and Benjamin? This is not two people. Judah and Benjamin were two of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, two of the original tribes. So this is a large group of people. This is, a, this is essentially one of the nations or one of the parts of the nation of Israel. Judah and Benjamin. So listen, King Asa, listen all of Judah, all of Benjamin to the words that I'm gonna tell you. Adonai is with you. God is with you. That's the words that we want to hear. When you're going through something in life, something that's powerful, something that is life-changing, the words that you want to know is, is God with me? And for somebody to say God is with you is a source of encouragement. God is with you. Adonai is with you. But look at the condition. As long as you are with him. God is with you as long as you are with him. Meaning, God is not always with us. He is ever present. He knows everything that is going on. God is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is all good. That is who God is. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he is always with us. When we are willfully walking into sin, when we are willfully disobeying him, walking in rebellion, God is not with us at that moment. Here's what he says to the king. God is with you as long as you are with him. Ask yourself the question today. Are you with God? Are you walking with him? If you are walking with him, guess what? He is with you. Look what it goes on to say. If you seek him, he will be found by you. You ever, you ever play hide and seek when you were a kid? And you found that perfect hiding place. You were hiding so well that nobody could find you at all. And after a certain amount of time, your friends, your family, whatever, they could not find you. They just gave up and they went on to something else. And you're still hiding and you're proud of yourself because you've been hiding so well that nobody could find you. But then you kind of lose interest because nobody's playing anymore. They have moved on to a different game and now you're missing out. That's not how God hides. If you seek God, he, you will find him. He is not hard to find. You just need to turn and look for him. And if you turn and look for him, God will be there and you will find him. But look at the contrast to it. But, this is, a, this is a big but in the middle of that sentence. But, if you forsake him, he will spurn you. Now the word spurn and the word forsake are the exact same word in the Hebrew language. So it really reads like this. If you forsake God, God will forsake you. If you spurn God, God will spurn you. Well, what is the word forsake? What does the word spurn mean? It means leave him, depart from him. If you abandon him, if you desert him, if you turn your back on him, it, the word that comes out of this is the word apostate or the word apostasy. An apostate or walking in apostasy is somebody who says, God, I'm going to turn my back on you. If, 
That big word, if you walk with him, if you seek him, if you follow after him, he will be with you. If you seek him, you will find him. I want you to seek after me, God says. Well, that brings up an interesting thought. What does the word seek mean? Seek in the Hebrew language, daresh, which means to tread or to beat a path. To tread or to beat a path. My dogs in my backyard have ruined my backyard. Some of you have dogs that have ruined your backyard as well. I have large dogs and they have, over the course of many, many years, they have absolutely ruined the backyard. They have a particular path and it's not just a path, it's a network of paths that they walk on over and over and over again in my backyard to the point that grass cannot even possibly grow in those spots. They have beaten a path. They have tread down the grass. It's the same word. To seek after God is to pursue, to keep pursuing, to keep walking after, to keep treading down the path, to keep walking on the same path over and over again, beat the same path. When you do, God is there. Keep coming after him. Keep finding him. The word also means this. It means to pursue, to search, to investigate, to study, or to follow. If you will look for me, if you will seek me, if you will search after me, it's, I'm not hard to find, God says. I am right there. But I'm going to wait till you turn to me. If you turn your back on me and you walk away, there's going to be a problem. Because I will not be with you where you are walking into sin. When I was in college, this was, this was uh, over 30 years ago now. But I was, uh, I was dating a person. Uh, the person that I was dating was a girl that I knew in high school. I had known her since the uh, sixth grade. She was almost a next door neighbor to me, lived just three houses down. I, was, uh, I started dating her right before I left for college, and it was just the highlight of my life. I had always had a crush on her, but I was dating somebody else. She was dating somebody else. And uh, finally, we both emptied off the albatrosses that were hanging around our necks, and we, got, we, we started dating. And it's such a wonderful story, and I don't have time to go into that whole story. God's hand in that story was so amazing. And I went to college, and we were dating. She was, uh, she was not in the same location that I was. She was actually still living here in Gillette. I was in Laramie for college. And uh, we, ha- we were starting this long-distance relationship. And it was great, and I was excited to date her. And then in, I think it was October of that fall, after about three months of dating, I got a letter in the mail. Now, young people, you don't know what a letter is, but that's a little note that you write, put it in an envelope, send it off. They didn't have text messaging. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have uh, email at that time. So I got this letter in the mail. And when I would get a letter in the mail, it would just brighten my day. I would get a couple, two, three uh, a week, sometimes four or five letters a week from her. And so I just was excited. I got the letter. I opened up. And it basically said, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I'm breaking up with you. And it just crushed me. When that happened, she made the decision, I'm going back to my old boyfriend. Now, I tried to tell her that he is such a loser. Why would you go back to him? I am so much better. 
I didn't really say that. I supported her, whatever it is that you need to do. And even though we broke up, I kept pursuing her. I kept calling her. I kept writing to her. I kept visiting her. I kept sending flowers to her. And eventually, I wore her down to the point that she broke up with him, and we have been married for 30 years now at this point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Six children later, 30 years later, I pursued because I wanted this. I wanted this relationship. I wanted to spend life with her, and I continued to pursue I beat a path to her house. I wore out the phone. Back in those days, no cell phones. You had to pay by the minute for your phone calls. If you remember that, you're older you know, than 40. So I had to call constantly. The cell phone bills were enormous, or the cell phone, the phone bills were enormous. I tried to avoid her dad any time that I could because he was mad about the phone bills all the time. So just tried to avoid him. I pursued, I beat a path, I searched, I followed, and eventually we ended up together. If you pursue God, if you walk with God, if you seek after God, if you follow him, he is not that hard to find. He is not that hard to pursue. If you find him, if you seek after him, he will be found. What is he telling to Asa the king? He is saying to Asa, here's why you were victorious, because you sought after God. Here's why life went well, because you sought after God. Here's why God was with you, because you sought after him. And if you seek him, you will find him. In Psalm 141, it says this, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. Adonai looked down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They all turned aside became corrupt, there is no one who does good, not even one. What is God looking for? He is looking for people who will say, I will pursue him. I want God in my life. I will seek after him. I will look for him. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added to you. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. That's our job. Our job is to pursue him, to seek him, to follow after him, to walk with him. And when you do, there is a blessing that comes. That's the first life lesson. Seek after God, look for him. God loves it when people pursue him. Second lesson from Asa in this after the battle events was this. God's absence produces darkness for his people. The darkest times in life, the darkest times in your life probably, the darkest times in my life definitely have been the, have been the times when God has not been at the forefront. When I have turned my back on him and walked in deliberate disobedience to him. The darkest times and the darkest events is the times that I have sinned against him. 
when I have walked in sin, when I have deliberately walked away from him, have produced a lot of darkness for me. And I'm guessing it has for you as well. The times in your life that you feel like that you have been the most distant have also been the times that you have felt the darkest. Because God's absence produces a large shadow over our lives. When Jesus came on the scene, he started his ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles in a very, very dark place. And in that dark place, when the presence of God came, it says the light shined. God's light is what dispels the darkness. Now here's what the prophet Azariah is going to tell to Asa the king. Look what it says. He says, for many days, now what he's talking about is the past. Many days in the past, you can think of days as years, at least 50 to 75 years, maybe even several hundred years if you go back into the time of the, books of, uh, the book of Judges. For many years or many days, he says, Israel was without the true God. They were without a teaching priest, a Kohen, and they were without the law, the Torah. But... In their distress, they turned to Adonai, the God of Israel, and they sought him, and he was found by them. Again, what do you do? You seek after God, and if you seek him, he will be found. In those times, in those days past, look at this, there was no shalom. No shalom for anyone coming or going, for there were many conflicts among the inhabitants of the land. What is shalom? Your Bibles will translate the word shalom as the word peace, but the word peace is inadequate to describe what shalom is. You see, shalom is more than peace. Shalom is contentment. Shalom is wholeness. Shalom is fullness. Shalom is satisfaction. It is rest. It is, it is peace. It is the fullness of life. That is what we seek after. Every one of us in our hearts are seeking the fullness of life. And we have been lied to because we think fullness comes in some other manner. You think, well, if I find the right person, that's what's going to make me feel full and whole and alive and peace and rest. And then you realize that it just didn't work. You think, well, if I find the right job, then it's going to make me feel whole and peace and full and rest. And then you get that job and you realize, wow, this is not what I expected it to be. And so you look for the next job, but that's even less satisfying. And then you look for the next one and the next one and the next one. And it's this whole series and string of jobs because none of them will ever satisfy me. You look for the right amount of possessions and you think all of the possessions, more and more possessions, that's going to satisfy me. You look for intellect and degrees and you think, well, that's going to make me feel full and whole and at rest. You look for belonging, not finding any peace and rest. You turn to alcohol or drugs, trying to numb yourself from all of the lack of peace and rest and wholeness and contentment that I don't feel Everything that we turn to in life, everything that we crave and desire in life really can be summed up in that word shalom. Why didn't they have shalom? Because they turned from God. They had no relationship with God. They did not walk with God. God was not with them because they would not seek after him. In those times, they were dark. And where does the darkness come from? It comes from the time of having absolutely no shalom. 
Now, you could substitute words in there to say it this way. In my marriage, there is no peace. There is no shalom in my marriage. Why? Because God is not at the center of my marriage. In my family, there is no, there's no shalom. Why? Because God is not at the center of my, my family and we are not seeking after him. There is no peace. There's no shalom in our country. Why? Because our people have turned away from God. They do not seek after him. And as a result, the country is encompassed by darkness. There's no peace in my heart personally. Because I have turned away from God. He is not at the center. There is no shalom. And I'm looking for things to try to fill up the emptiness that will never, ever satisfy. God's absence is a pro producer of darkness in our lives. Why did they have no shalom? Because they did not seek after God. Third life lesson from the after battle events. Number three, God intervenes to bring his people back. I want you to see what it says here. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. Now, he is referring to the times in the past. He's referring to the book of Judges. He's referring to the times leading up through the first several kings. There was no peace. There was no shalom. And nation was fighting against nation. We were always in conflict. There was always a battle that was raging. Why was there always a battle that was raging? Well, because we didn't seek God. And because God allowed these battles to occur. Because here's what it says. For God troubled them with every kind of distress. Internal strife, division, and conflict. Why were those things there? So that they would turn and seek after God. Now again, substitute nation, substitute the word, the, the, the word city, and insert the word marriage. Insert the word family. Insert the word personally. There was personally internal conflict in my life, and God was allowing this trouble to happen. Why does God allow trouble in my life? So that I will turn back to him. There's marital trouble. Why is there marital trouble? Because God is not at the center. Why is God not at the center? Because we don't seek after and pursue him. Why is God allowing this? Why is God just not fixing this? Well, he's allowing this to drive us to a point of brokenness so that we will once again seek after him. See, right now, for some of you, your family, your marriage, your job is a mess, not because God is punishing you, but because God is wanting to drive you back to him. Sometimes he allows the trouble and he allows the distress in order for people to turn to him. That's exactly what happened in the history of Israel. The book of Judges is one of the best examples of that because in the book of Judges, the people had peace with God, walking with God, then they would turn their backs upon God, then they would do false pagan worship, and then all kinds of trouble would hit them. Nations would come against them. They would have all kinds of turmoil, internal conflict, external conflict, and they would finally turn back to God. They would call out to God, and God would send somebody in the form of a judge to be able to bring them back to himself. See, there's sometimes in our lives that God allows internal and external conflict in order to bring us to a point of brokenness so that we come back to him. I've talked to a lot of, uh, a lot of people who've come out of prison. I've talked to a lot of people dealing with addictions. 
And you know what the jail time and the addiction time do to people? They often bring people to the rock bottom point. And you know what the rock bottom point does? It completely breaks them and it causes them to turn back and seek after and pursue God who they had ignored for so many years. They sought after him and they got their lives right and they changed dramatically because they hit a point of brokenness because God allowed all of the trouble and distress to bring them back to him. God intervenes to bring back his people. The final thing that I want you to see from this is number four, God rewards his people's right actions. Again, this is all the warning that is given. Asa had not done this, but he is talking about the previous generations. Asa had sought after God. He had asked for God's help. He had, he had torn down everything that was anti-God in the nation that he could find at that point. This message was a warning to him. Seek after him. Don't turn your back on him. Keep walking with him. It will become dark for the nation if you turn away from him. God wants to make sure you're walking with him. And in fact, God will actually reward you when you are walking with him. Look what it says. It says this to Asa. But you, Asa, take courage. Do not let your hands be slack for there is reward for your labor. I want you to notice those words. Do not let your hands be slack, for there is reward for your labor. What is he saying in that? He's saying, do not turn away from God. Do not quit pursuing God. Do not quit working toward God. Not that you can earn salvation by working, but you just keep pursuing him with a passion. And if you do, there will be a reward for your labor. Hebrews 11.6, it says this. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. If you seek after God, there is a reward. What is the reward, you may ask? Is, is it a financial reward? I don't think so. Maybe there are financial blessings that happen in the following of God, but that's not the ultimate thing that we are seeking. Remember what it said before was the result of them not following God. It said there was no shalom in the land. No shalom in the heart. What was shalom? Wholeness, fullness, satisfaction, rest, peace, contentment. The very thing that my heart craves the most is the very thing that God brings to his people when they pursue him. God rewards those who seek after him, not with some materialistic blessing. Those things come and go. He rewards people with peace and shalom and contentment and wholeness. My heart finally finds the very thing that I have been craving the most when I finally seek after him. Your heart does as well. When you finally seek God, you will find the thing that you crave the most. And you will find that the things of the world that you thought you craved don't matter in the least anymore. Because you have found the one thing that matters more than anything else. So, what are the principles? 
God is there to bless those who will seek after him. God expects that. God honors that. God wants that from his people. Pursue me, seek after me, follow me, commit your heart to me. When we don't seek after him, there is a darkness that can come over people. The darkest times in life are the times that we haven't pursued him, that he hasn't been at the center of our lives, that we haven't sought him first. God will intervene to bring his people back. And oftentimes, that is the consequences of life. It is the pain of life that brings us back to him. God rewards his people's right action by giving them the very thing that they crave the most, and that is the internal sense of blessing, the internal shalom. Well, what is the conclusion of the story? Well, here's the end of the story. Asa would respond to God's message and the warnings that Azariah would give him. Look what it says. When Asa heard these words, as well as the prophecy of the prophet Obed, he took courage. He removed the abominations from all of the land of Judah. So if there's anything that he didn't get in the first round 10 years ago, he's going to make sure it's gone now. He removed all of the abominations from the land of Judah, all of the abominations from the land of Benjamin, from the towns that he had seized in this battle, in the Ephraim. He also repaired Adonai's altar that was in front of Adonai's entryway in the temple of God. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin, as well as those dwelling with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Simeon, for many from the northern part of Israel had defected down into the south because they saw that God was with him. One of the most attractive things in life is when people see that God is with you. You know, that's a good reminder. If you're a single person, look for people to be married to someday that are people that God is with and that are actually pursuing God. I have daughters. I have sons too, but I especially think of my daughters because they're, they're kind of the next two in line. My two youngest boys are, are not quite there yet. Thank the Lord they're not there yet. My two oldest are married and they have godly spouses and I am so thrilled with their choice in spouses. But my next two, my advice and my encouragement for the next two are seek guys that are pursuing the Lord. Seek after guys that God is with them. And if God is not with them, you run away as fast as you can. Don't give them the time of day. God needs to be with them. And they need to seek after God with all of their heart. Now, will they listen to me? I sure hope so. Do you, you just kind of wish, parents, that you could just make your kids do everything for all of their lives, that you could just kind of control their lives a little bit? My mom still wishes that on me at the age of 50, that she could do that. All God was with them. He was with Israel. And all the people in the north that saw the fact that God was with Judah, they defected because that's where they wanted to be. God is with his people when they pursue him. God loves it when you seek after him. God hates it when you turn your back on him. When you turn your back on him, it will be darkness. It will be times of difficulty. It will be times of frustration. Often there will be consequences to pay. 
those consequences are typically points of life that drive us to a sense of brokenness. They drive us to pain so that we will turn back and seek after God once again. Are you seeking God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength? If you're not, today I would encourage you to turn back and seek after him. If you seek him, you will find him because he is not hard to find. Let's pray as we close. Father, thank you for the privilege of opening your word. Thank you for the life lesson we can learn from this king today. I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, that we will continually bless and honor and follow you with all of our heart. Lord, that we would seek after you, that we would seek your will, your plan, your way, and your purposes for our life. Lord, if we are not doing that, convict us and help us to turn to you. Thank you for meeting with us today, Lord. And we pray for your help in the, in the graduation. We pray for you to be with the parents and the students, Lord, for this to be a time of celebration and joy. We thank you for your presence here among us today. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.